Welcome to Radio KAL, the Superman podcast brought to you by our proud sponsor Patrick O'Neill and supermanhomepage.com. This is show number 146, released on February 22nd, 2017. My name is Steve Eunice, and I'm joined by my good friend, Scotty V. Hey, Scotty. Hey, hey, Steve. What's going on? How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. Uh, Short month, February, so it seems like it wasn't that long ago that we did the end of January podcast. Uh, It's only the 22nd, but uh, there is no 29th, so we have to go with the last Wednesday of the month, which is today. There we go. So we will uh, we will not need to explain again why Superman uh, doesn't age when everybody else does. Uh, this is one of those years where time goes by, but uh, Superman doesn't get a year older because, Correct. of course, his famous birthday, ah, we don't need to go into it, is February 29th. That's right. I'm sure our fans know that. Well, let's right. move into uh, the movie news like we always do. We start off with that and looking at the upcoming Justice League movie, end of this year, November 2017. We have that film coming out. But uh, Zack Snyder posted a very interesting black and white photo via his Vero social media account. And it shows Diane Lane as Martha Kent and Kevin Costner as Jonathan Kent holding signs with the year, their names, and the year 1992. Now, these don't appear to be uniforms or costumes that they wore in either Man of Steel or Batman v Superman. Um, obviously, they weren't together in Batman v Superman. Jonathan's been dead, but we did get to see him in Batman v Superman. So this could be for, or appears to be for the Justice League movie. Will we be getting a flashback and what happened in 1992? I'm very excited about this, and this is what I keep pointing out to people who keep saying Superman's not even in this movie, he's going by the wayside, they don't care about him. Um, I haven't heard that much about the supporting cast for all the other members of Justice League, but I do know one thing. The DC Extended Universe on film started with Man of Steel for good or for ill, Mm -hmm. and Batman v Superman was sort of a sequel to that, and Justice League will continue that, and we see that with the inclusion of Martha and Jonathan Kent, uh, at least it appears so. Uh, the, we will still see more of Superman's supporting cast with Lois being involved. Um, you know, obviously, Batman has his Alfred and whatever else is going on there. But uh, it seems to me that more of Superman's supporting cast has had played an important role in Batman v Superman. And now uh, we will get to see, uh, apparently, uh, Clark's parents again. Yeah, and 1992, obviously in the comic books was the death of Superman's story when that was published, so maybe that's a nod to that. Uh, Clark would have been, I think, a teenager, if I'm correct, in looking back at the timing um, around the time of 1992 in the universe of the film, but we'll have to wait and see if it is a flashback, what that means, whether there's some kind of a a sequence of uh, of a young Clark or the Kents or, or something, we don't know, but um, speaking of appearances by... Uh, cast members or characters from the Superman universe in Justice League. Uh, We won't be seeing Perry White in the film. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne has said in an interview that they called him in for a one-day shoot. He couldn't get it organised because of his schedule. Um, But he doesn't think that Perry White's that important to uh, the Justice League film. You know, He wants them to see them spending more time uh, or minutes of the movie concentrating on the DC Comics characters of the Justice League themselves. Well, it's a likely excuse when you can't show up for your day of work. But, uh, I mean, he's right in terms of um, the overall reason for having a Justice League film. 
I would have liked to see Perry simply for the reason I was just talking about another member of um, Clark's, you know, supporting cast being in the film, but also because the Daily Planet is supposed to be the biggest or one of the biggest news organizations in the DCU. It's nice to it would be nice to see him kind of organizing something that had something to do with reporting on the Justice League, which will assumedly be a new happening in that movie. Mm. So, um, and we know that uh, Lawrence Fishburne is a Fishburne is a, a big time uh, DC Comics fan, a comic book geek, if you like. He's a fanboy himself, so uh, he's really looking forward to this. And so, you know, uh, if uh, he says, "Look, they should spend more time on on the characters," uh, you know, then I, I'm I'm with him. You know, let's see, uh, you know, we would go to see the Justice League movie to see these characters on screen together, and hopefully that means. Uh, a fair bit of Superman, but uh, look, that's all well and good, but when are we going to see a trailer? Well, according to Zack Snyder, it's coming soon. He's uh, of the opinion that, um, you know, these things, there's a mar- whole marketing uh, thing that has to be take place. There's a, a plan. Um, you know, they've, they've got um, a schedule involved as far as when you will be seeing certain things. He says, trailer is all part of marketing and there is a set schedule for release. It's coming soon. Don't worry. Well, as soon is relative, right? Because if right. we were looking at this from the point of view of the epochs of time, soon could be, uh, you know, months from now or could have been if they said in 2005, soon you'll see a trailer for Justice League. You're going to see it in 2017, but when you talk about the earth being thousands and hundreds of thousands of years old, you know, seven, eight years is not that long. <laughs> so uh, soon, what does soon mean? Well, we know that it means before November, right? Or does it, has it been moved <laughs> to June now or May, the, the movie? I, I wouldn't be surprised if we move, but I, I, as far as I know, we're still looking at a, a Christmas time release date for uh, the big uh, film. But uh, – Soon uh, it has to be uh, springtime when the movies, the big movies, start coming out. I, I would guess. Yeah, well, we got One Woman right around the corner, so you know whether or not uh, I imagine the Justice League trailer, if it's released before, then would still be playing with the Wonder Woman movie. So we know that's de- a definite. That would, you know, um, be my guess as to when you'll see it on the big screen. But if it's released online before then. Uh, well, you know, they do have uh, schedules that get released to, you know, say when certain trailers are out there um, for people within the industry. So maybe that will leak once a trailer has been, you know, sent or a reel has been sent to um, the cinemas, the theatres, so that um, they know when it's coming or when to play it. And that usually happens a couple of weeks before it actually will run. So wait and see. Watch this space, as they say in the classics. Absolutely. I hope we get back to a more traditional trailer release where it's not on tv and online weeks before it actually hits a movie or before we're surprised by it i know it's very hard to do in the day and age of information being available to all the minute anybody finds any information but um i would love to see it with wonder woman and have that be the first time that it is viewed but generally even if it was going to be released with wonder woman the way it seems to go is that tuesday or something it would be available online and then it would be released with the movie wednesday or friday whichever day it comes out mm. so we would have the opportunity from recent history to see it before the movie actually debuted with it but i uh would like to see it first only in theaters but 
that's just me. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I like that experience. But uh, yeah, in this day and age, uh, online is the way to go as far as reaching the largest audience. So uh, up to you whether you uh, out there go out and uh, watch it online. If you can hold off and wait to see it with a, a movie, um, that's a personal preference. It's very difficult this day and age to do so because you can just be scrolling through your feed on you know Facebook or whatever, and all of a sudden you see a, a video playing. Uh, so it's it's hard to stay spoiler free or you know stay away from material uh, in this day and age. That is true. But I know that this movie in particular I will be going to see. So if it comes out within some reasonable amount of time before that one, I can probably myself hold off and uh, get to the theaters with Wonder Woman, which gives me an extra bonus for seeing a movie that I expect to be good anyway. Hmm. Well, there you go. All right, let's move into the TV side of things. And we have a number of Supergirl episodes that have aired since we last uh, spoke, uh, four episodes, I believe, uh, we have to talk about. So let's push through those. Uh, first off, we have the episode titled We Can Be Heroes, which uh, sadly we didn't get to see or hear um, the um, song by David Bowie, which I thought might play, but uh, obviously not. Uh, but uh, We Can Be Heroes uh, <clears throat> in this episode, which was episode... Um, what was it, episode 10 of season 2. Uh, it's all about Livewire. You know, we thought that she'd escaped. We thought she had, um, you know, uh, cohorts that were had helped her escape. But lo and behold, Livewire herself was a victim in this episode. Yes, she was. Well, at the same time, kind of being obnoxious and still villainous. <laughs> um, it was weird. It was. I found it a little bit confusing at times mm-hmm. because... And they didn't really go into it, but she seemed to be aware that she was going to be getting out of prison and that people were coming to break her out. And when they arrived, she kind of made a smarmy remark to the psychiatrist or whatever and and said, well, they're here now. Yum. And then the next scene we saw, she was tied up in a chair and the other people had her powers. So it almost seemed like she was party to the plan of the escape, but then maybe duped after. But they didn't uh, get into that. Yeah, I think that she was thinking it's like I think they played it that way to make out like yes, you know, she's um, you know, expecting to be released and has a plan in place. But I think it was just her being Leslie, being Livewire, you know, uh gloating and saying, you know, you think you can hold me, you know, just that whole bravado and it wasn't played that well as far as you know, I I think they there wasn't enough there to for you to go later on. Oh, yeah, she really didn't know. Um, but I think that's how they intended it to, to come off. Okay. But, uh, just assuming that somehow it was going to work out even though she was trapped there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But All like right. Said, I get that. It, could, it, it was a bit uh, confusing. It, 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 I think they meant it to, to come across that way. But looking back, you think to yourself, well, what was she being so you know, brave and bravo- you know, has had so much bravado about because she really didn't have any plan. So... But that's live wire, I guess. I guess. And then later on, we see uh, they kind of come to an agreement, an arrangement, if you will. Mm. Supergirl decides that she's going to let her go as long as she doesn't kill the scientist who had uh, been stealing and siphoning off her powers. Now, my problem with that, of course, is that through the whole episode and the other two times, Kara has made it pretty clear that 
she's afraid of live wire in terms of what she will do, who she will kill, the fact that she's murderous, that she has killed people. So to let a murderer go now, I guess she had no choice, but then when she does let her go and, and James says, uh, we got to go after her. And she says, no, 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 not right now. She could go kill five, six people on her way. Uh, right in that moment, she felt a little, little guilty, maybe a little beholden to Supergirl because Supergirl didn't, kill her when she had the opportunity or helped release her and stop the scientists. So, uh, you know, honor among even bad guys when you help them sometimes. But mm. uh, but if she goes back into her crazy mindset uh, or even mistakenly starts using her powers, someone could get hurt or killed. And Supergirl just would be responsible. It seemed like it was OK to just let her go like that. And I like the, you know, uh, my daughter, when we watched it, said, oh, they're friends now. And. <laughs> I don't really think that they're friends. I don't get the impression that she's suddenly going to be a hero and a good guy. But I, I, I think they just came to that arrangement, and Supergirl was trying to honor the fact that she said she'd give her a day before mm. she started coming after. Yeah, uh, I guess you know that's something that they, you know, the, the the super characters do. Superman and Supergirl, they try to see the best in people and give them a second chance, and you know, and honor the the promises that they make. So while it's not ideal and while, you know, Livewire could go off and do something bad, you know, I think uh that's why Superman doesn't kill the you know, the, the criminals and, you know, he, he captures them and hopes that they can be rehabilitated or put away and where they won't be able to hurt someone and I guess in this instance Kara had that decision to make that yes, look, you know, we had to work together here. I promised her this, I have to honor my promise. I you know, I'm uh, as good as my word and well, it's probably the you know the lesser of two evils, if you like. Mm, I get you. Well, maybe if she'd have not done it, and he, she kills this evil scientist who was killing people anyway, or if she decided not to do that, and then Livewire goes out and kills uh, five innocent people, mm. or even one innocent person, mm. which would be worse, I would think. Uh, killing the person who's not involved out in the out in the uh, rest of the world, but uh, hopefully she's yeah she's hoping that that won't happen. Yeah. All right. So then we move on to uh, episode eleven of season two, titled "The Martian Chronicles," and in this one we have the uh, White Martian Armek descending upon National City. He's intent on taking Magan back to Mars to face punishment as a traitor. We later find out that uh, Armek and Magan were married or bonded uh, in the Martian way and uh, it's one of those episodes that's uh, a bit of a trope where you know it's the um, you know you're in a lockdown situation there's somebody amongst you who's a shapeshifter and you don't know who to trust because any one of them could be the other person and pretending to be somebody else and um, it was played well in this one and I thought it was interesting to see some of the actors uh, like uh, Jeremy Jordan uh, you know uh, play the the villain if you like in disguise well they seem to do this on um every superhero as you say a trope uh, every superhero show or movie uh, e- even shows like supernatural it seems to be a thing that they do where through some sort of spell or power or potion or meteor rock everybody uh, at some point gets to be the bad version of themselves um on Smallville, we had it many, many times. Um, we've seen it a couple of times on uh, Flash. There's different characters that have alternate versions of mm. themselves. And, of course, uh, on the, now we have it on Supergirl where they give you the opportunity for – at least for the actors to have a little fun 
and act like they're somebody different than who they normally are. And, you know, the first time we saw it on on like a Lois and Clark or something or maybe Superboy when it, you know, I'm sure it happened on there. It's kind of cool and novel and you kind of go, oh, cool, we get to see bad, you know, or even in Superman 3. Um, but then, you know, you get to 20 and 30 and 40 years later and it's been done 20 and 30 and 40 different times and it's pretty much the same plot every time and uh, just a general idea or a different spin on that same idea. Yeah. And uh, I it was I found it while it was cliche in many ways I found it uh, I thought they did a good job of progressing some of the relationships in that in this instance the Martian also not only tapped into their physical uh, likeness but their emotional um, and and history if you like so conversations were going on with characters when it was really the Martian but they were actually true conversations with the person themselves in that, you know, Kara and Alex and, you know, talking about, you know, their relationship and what's going on there. And, uh, you know, it furthered the plot without having to rehash that conversation with the real character later on. Well, I also like when they kind of delve into, now a lot of people have expressed that they don't really want to see Alex take over a lot of the story or they don't really want to see Mon-El anymore. I hear it a lot. People mm. keep saying, get rid of Mon-El. He's got no chemistry with her, nothing like that. Um, the same thing with the Martians. I like when we see, you know, in the episode previous where we saw how she helped that little Martian run away, the green Martian, and, and we saw how she was kind of a pariah to her people because she had betrayed them in what their mission was and and we see you know that Jean decides to save her when she's and then when we in this episode we see more development and more backstory and more of what happened with the white martians and the green martians and Megan in particular and and how that whole story comes together it's it's always been kind of exciting to me in superman comics and things when we really get to see a lot of the supporting cast do great things and have great storylines and have their backstory. And I like that they have that on Supergirl. There is a question as to how many times can we watch her be the one who needs to be saved over and over again. But but uh, at the same time, I do like seeing that other people can be heroes and other people can have stories, even though the show is named Supergirl and she is the primary focus. I don't mind myself when we get to, to delve into these other characters and, and, and see more of what they're about. Yeah, 100%. I mean, there's so many people always say that Superman and, and you know, probably in extension the Supergirl world is not as rich in characters and rogues and villains uh, say the Batman universes, and well, how can we develop those characters and develop that richness of 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 her, you know the um, further world of you know that they exist in without delving into the background and stories of the peripheral characters or the supporting characters like John in this circumstance, McGann, Alex, Win, James. You know, all these characters have to have lives that are rich and filled out. Otherwise, they're just two-dimensional characters that Kara interacts with. So, yeah, while we like to see the focus be on Kara because the show is called Supergirl, we definitely need to see those characters that are around her fleshed out. Otherwise, it just becomes a two-dimensional cartoon. Hence, I assume the next episode entitled Luthor's, uh, where some people would say, you know, 
Luthor or the Luthor family should not be such a primary focus. And, you know, on a show like Smallville, I would say almost half the time was mm. spent on on uh, uh, the Luthors and how Lex developed and what Lionel was doing. And then they had a sister and then they had a fake sister and then they had all kinds of other stuff going on. And in this case, I'd like to see more of this. But I haven't watched the episode yet, but I assume the focus is on the Luthor family and what's going to happen with them moving forward. Yeah, it was it was a great episode actually. Uh, it um, had uh, both Metello, it had Lillian Luthor, it um, even had a, you know a bit of a spoiler here, um, the cyborg Superman in it briefly, uh, and obviously Lena, who is in this um, episode um, accused of breaking her mother out of jail uh, and helping her escape. She's arrested for it. Kara doesn't believe it. She uh, says that you know she trusts her friend and says Lena isn't like a you know a true Luthor. She you know she should be given the benefit of the doubt. Uh, James has an issue with that. Obviously James is feeling a bit um, left out, if you like, in Kara's trust because she doesn't trust him being uh, the guardian. Yet why does he trust Lena uh, in when all the evidence seems to point to her being guilty? So there's a bit of uh, animosity or confrontation there. Um, and it's, you know, we get some, uh, some great, not in-jokes, but um, some fan service. In, we see Lex Luthor's power suit in a containment um, storage facility. We see some other items that, you know, Lex has uh, gathered over the time. But there was one interesting comment that Lee, Lillian made to Lena saying, we are the final two Luthors, or we're the last two Luthors, um, and that Lex went crazy. But... If, even if Lex is crazy, he's still around, so surely you count him in as being a Luthor still? I mean, he's not dead. Well, that's good. I mean, the idea that uh, we get a, like a slice of Superman, even though they have said that Tyler himself's not going to return to play Superman anytime soon, mm. we still see that parts of his life still did happen, and there are still things that went on with Luthor and now the continuing family of Luthors is uh, interesting to me and I am looking forward to watching it. It's just very hard around here when I try to watch it with my daughter and everybody's busy and there's dance class and homework and school and my work and whatever happens. But uh, I'm glad to hear that. And along that same line, we have another traditional uh, Superman villain or mischievous character that bothers Superman on the next episode, which uh, I, uh, I I don't... Did you like it, or how did you feel about it? Yeah, well, as people know, as you probably know, I've uh, said many times that Mixius Pitalik is one of my favourite vi- uh, Superman characters, or villains, if you like. I um, I like the way you know he was portrayed in Superman the Animated Series. That, for me, was you know really iconic and you know really... You know, a, a, a great way to portray the character. Um, oh, I watched this uh, episode just this morning um, because I was—I didn't, as you say, life gets in the way. I didn't get a chance to watch it when it actually aired here. But um, so I watched it uh, this morning, and so it's fresh in my mind. Um, I didn't mind this version. Obviously, I much preferred it to the Smallville version, which wasn't in any way Mixius Pitalik here. He's, you know, he's not an exchange student here. He's actually an, you know, a, an imp from the fifth dimension. Uh, he goes by the name Mixius Pitalik. To get him to leave, you have to say, get him to trick him into saying his name backwards, or you know, that whole trope is still there, which is, you know, part of 
the uh, the iconic version of Mixius Pitalik. He's not a small imp as in, you know, three feet tall. He doesn't wear a bowler hat. He doesn't wear purple and yellow or, you know, those kinds of things that are in the comic books. Um, so I was a little disappointed in that Supergirl, the show, seems to really, um, you know, uh, take to heart all the comic book stuff. You know, we've seen Parasite is this purple blobby character. We've seen, you know, um, other characters brought in, Livewire, you know, that they all they seem to try to um, really take to heart everything that's been done in the comic books. Yet here, there was no effort, I guess, to play, you know, portray Mixie in the way that he is in the comic books. You know, there was no, even a bowler hat at one stage, because he's f- changing uniforms, he's clicking his fingers and, you know, puts Cara in a wedding dress and clicks his fingers and there's roses and flowers all over the place, because this was a Valentine's Day episode. Um, so, you know, to see just a brief kind of nod to the fans or, you know, a bit of an in-joke with, you know, something along those lines would have been nice. I still enjoyed the episode. Um, it was fun. Um, you know, it, uh, Kara was smart in the way that she tricked Mixie in the end. And, uh, it, uh, it, all in all, it wasn't a bad episode. I guess maybe being the person that I am liking Mixie the way I do, I was a little disappointed that they didn't go the whole hog and embrace it as they have other characters. Well, I think it's, it's, it seems like they, uh, on all these shows, they, they, um, they go a li- they go a little ways but they don't like to go all the way and as you said uh, with shows like the flash now and supergirl they have done some of the characters pretty fairly accurately with slight change ups to their background or who they were or how they got their powers but you know as you mentioned the parasite specifically being this large purpley thing with multiple you know lots of teeth and a round mouth and definitely a look from the comics Whereas, same with Livewire, who, of course, was introduced on the animated series and then put into the comics later on. Somebody like Mixius Pitalik seems to me that people have a difficult time kind of digesting the idea of that on a live-action television show or movie. So I've talked to a lot of people in the past who have said you'll never see a live-action version of, uh, you know, and since then, of course, he was on Lois and Clark in the form of Howie Mandel, and we saw uh, a version on Smallville, and now we've seen on, uh, and he, of course, was on Super, Superboy, and he much he looked much more like mm. the traditional Mixus Pitalik on Superboy, although he was still regular size. But um, I think it's difficult for them to kind of, justify having a tiny man with a high-pitched voice being goofy or silly. I've always thought of Q from Star Trek as kind of a Mixius Pitalik character because if you were Q or Mixie and you have that kind of power, you could really just put an end to the Earth or kill anyone or destroy Supergirl or make her vanish. Or, but he never does. He He's just kind of messing around. It's kind of impish. Same with Q. He doesn't really ever do anything that is looking to destroy actually it's always just kind of to bother people to annoy them or maybe at its best to teach them a lesson or show them something they didn't already know but i think that i think showing him the shrimpy guy with a high voice is something they still don't feel comfortable with on tv yeah no i I get you there Uh, it would have been difficult to do the height thing and all that kind of stuff i i i guess i you know just a little bit disappointed but all in all it wasn't a bad episode there was a you know um the whole 
um, Valentine's Day thing with Maggie and Alex played out in this episode. Uh, it had been touted as being the episode before, the 13th of February, but instead they played it uh, this past week, the, the 20th. Um, so um, it, that was there, and it played well into the whole Mixy thing because he's, you know, appearing and, you know, declaring his love for Kara and saying he wants to marry her. And so it was a very much a, a love episode. Um, but that was... Mr. and Mrs. Mixius Pidlick. And now we look forward to next week's episode, which is titled Homecoming. And in this, we see the return of Dean Kane, the description that has been released. And the trailer is also out there. It says, When Jeremiah Danvers is rescued from Cadmus, Alex and Kara are thrilled to have their father back. The Danvers arrange a family dinner to celebrate, but things go awry when a suspicious Monel starts to question Jeremiah about his sudden return. Mm. Sounds sounds intriguing. Yeah, so uh, I guess there is a bit of uh, doubt about uh, Jeremiah's whereabouts, where has he been, because the last time we did see him, he helped Kara escape from Cadmus and said, you know, you'll go, you go, but I can't come with you. And it's like, well, are you a prisoner or are you just roaming around freely? So I guess there is some suspicion there about is this really him or what's happened, where has he been, what, what's he been doing? I'm very glad to see Dean Cain uh, return. I, I love uh, the, I love when they include uh, past Superman universe actors. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and then beyond that, the next episode after that is titled Exodus, and that's the 15th episode of season two. And in that episode, the description says, as Alex searches for Jeremiah and Kara investigates a series of alien kidnappings. The sisters realise they must break the rules to foil a new Cadmus plot. In an effort to get Snapper Carr to run a story that would help her stop Cadmus, Kara agrees to set up an interview between Snapper and Supergirl. So I guess uh, we'll see a bit more of Ian Gomez, who plays Snapper Carr, in this particular episode, titled Exodus, on Monday, March 6th. I've been liking him a little better as the episodes have gone on. Uh, he's settled down a little bit. He's still kind of that over-the-top Callista Flockhart character that Kat was in the beginning before we realized that she had a lot of heart and that there was a lot more to her and and that Kara, Kara could actually look up to her and that sort of thing. And I, I think we're getting some of that with Snapper Carr here too, even if he doesn't quite fit the mold of who Snapper Carr should have been. He's not as annoying as he was when he first came on. Yeah. So uh, that, as I said, will be on Monday, March 6th, titled Exodus. All right, well, that's uh, all the descriptions we have for upcoming episodes of Supergirl up to episode 15. We have some exciting news. As you say, you like to see the return of you know, family characters or actors who have been involved in previous versions of the Superman or Supergirl story. And we know that Terry Hatcher will be coming on for at least three episodes this season. She will be joined by Kevin Sorbo, who was once actually uh, considered to play the role of Superman in Lois and Clark, uh, The New Adventures of Superman. Instead, Dean Kane got that role. Kevin Sorbo, of course, went on to play Hercules on TV. But the two of them will be coming on to Supergirl as a married couple who are from Daxum. So I'm guessing that they're probably uh, Monel's parents. Well, that's a possibility. I know that they were touting them as being Supergirl big bads. I don't know if we see when I first read it, my impression of that was, you know, it was initially announced that Terry Hatcher would be the big bad on Supergirl, which 
translates to me as someone who will come on and be around for either the rest of the season or uh, moving forward as a as a big person in the background uh, doing a lot of villainous things that will perturb Supergirl throughout the series. But uh, being that they're husband and wife, it seems more like uh, they're not going to be big bads as a you know they might be at odds or they might be. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> until we see what they are. But especially if they're Monel's parents, which is what it does seem like, as you say, I don't picture them coming to Earth and and being villainous and 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 trying to destroy things or, or take over. Although uh, there have been some uh, suspicious descriptions of of uh, Daxum and and this show and and the type of people they were with slavery and that sort of thing. Uh, so it's possible that. They could come like the Kryptonians often do and, and expect to be the ones who rule the earth or take over their, you know, especially if they're royalty or, or something along those lines. Mm. So we're looking forward to seeing Terry Hatcher and Kevin Sorbo in upcoming episodes of season two of Supergirl. All right. Well, that brings us to comic books and uh, we have a number of comic books to discuss. Let's start off with the new one. Uh, Super Sons number one came out this uh, past month. Uh, it is the title that involves Jonathan Kent or John Smith or John... What other name? John White. They they keep swapping the names around, the surname. Uh, we're just going to call him Jonathan Kent, the young son of Lois and Superman with Damian Wayne, who is the son of Bruce Wayne and is now Robin. So uh, we have these two going out on adventures together, I guess, in this title. In this particular issue, we have um, Robin pestering Jonathan is the best way to explain it. He's like, you know, pretending to be a bus driver, taking him to school, pretending to be a a substitute teacher. Uh, He's, you know, brings, you know, gets him out of his bed late at night and takes him on a trip to Metropolis. Uh, he's not a very good influence, this, uh, this young Mr. Wayne, is he? Well, I don't read Batman, but from what I've heard about Damien, he does a lot worse than what he does to Jonathan in this book. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, he's not... They're not really of the same ilk, these two. Mm. You know, John is very interested in uh, kind of being a good guy and doing the right thing and going to school and not cutting and the kinds of things that you often hear make Superman a square or somebody who's not cool because he follows the rules and he does what's right and he uh, doesn't um, rebel or that sort of thing. But Damien, on the other hand, seems like a completely rebellious spirit just from the one scene we see of him with Batman where he completely disobeys and plans to disobey and annoys Alfred and and then comes here just to where where they're hiding out and goes to his school and does the things that he does and drives a bus and is uh much too young for that according to John, Jonathan and you know cut, you know skipping his own classes and and that sort of thing so it's they are they are sort of uh, on two opposite sides which when you think about the Batman Superman comic or just the idea of those two working together, they kind of are two opposites as well. Mm. They're both interested in doing good, but they they have a completely different demeanor as they go about their everyday life. So I guess they're kind of similar in that way that we don't have a Batman Superman comic, but we do have this comic now where there's a Superman-esque character and a Batman-esque character who 
we will get to see argue and disagree and be at odds, but I assume in the end, be heroes. Yeah. So uh, uh, it's a title, I guess, that's been a long time coming because we've had Jonathan in the Superman main books for a while now, and he's become a character in and of himself. Uh, many of the chapters of Action Comics have been about Jonathan or focusing on Jonathan, so um, I guess it's it's good now that he's got a, a title that uh, can focus on him with Damien and their relationship and their growth as uh, both you know, superheroes and people. So looking forward to reading future issues of that. It's, uh, it seems like a good title. Um, but uh, let's move on to Action Comics. We've had both Action Comics 972 and 973 released since we last recorded. Uh, we had the Men of Steel um, conclusion in 972, and that was you know, with uh, Lex having been um, accused of future um, uh, crimes and you know, this uh, Lacole and Zaid, these, these alien bounty hunters, if you like, uh, came and captured them both or captured Lex and uh, tried to uh, you know, kill Lex. And in this uh, particular one, Superman's obviously got no powers now because he's not under, no longer under a yellow sun, but uses uh, they work together well to uh, allow uh, Lex to go free or to be you know, not killed by uh, Lacole and Zaid. And uh, Superman, you know, speaks to their, I guess, better side and, and convinces them, uh, you know, that you, know, you can't kill someone based on what they haven't done yet just because, you know, because the future can be changed, people can change. So uh, interesting to see if down the line some ramifications come due to Superman's uh, inter, in, or in, uh, involvement or, uh, you know, interrupting what these people think Lex will end up becoming. Well, I like how the call on the final page says, uh, you know, uh, we don't have to worry, but he does. And you see uh, visions of some of Superman's uh, great enemies. And one of them, of course, being Cyborg Superman. And when I read it, I thought, so is this Kara's father, Cyborg, or is this going to be a revamp of that character? Because I really, as I've expressed before, I haven't been happy that they've changed the Cyborg character into Kara's Kryptonian father because it doesn't have the same mm, impact that yeah. it once did on the Superman character in that way. Uh, but then in the next book, Action Comics 973, we do see that the character of Hank Henshaw has a, a primary role in sort of the background goings on that are happening here. Yeah, uh, in Action 973, it's the beginning of the mild-mannered story, uh, which delves into this mysterious Clark Kent, this powerless Clark Kent who's there who's appeared, um, you know, um, he's, uh, you know, suddenly discovers that he's got a love for Lois Lane and, uh, you know, wants to, um, you know, ask her out. Obviously doesn't know that she is not that lower, the Lois Lane that exists in this universe, that he's, she's the married wife of, of Superman uh, and a different Clark Kent. Uh, so all uh, very intriguing, this whole mystery, mysterious Clark Kent guy. But as you say... Um, Superman um, flies off, uh, or oh, they, they're in the fortress. They go to the Fortress of Solitude, and Hank Henshaw has been uh, tracking their flight to find out uh, what Superman is hiding there. Yes, very the uh, the um, the guy that has the what is it mind control abilities? Uh, blank. Yes, I guess maybe we find that out uh, later on. I happen to read a. 
the, the copy of 974, so I'm a little confused. I might have jumped ahead, but uh, did everyone – it seems to me that uh, – I can't remember exactly where I got this from, but the idea that in this story, 973, it seems like everybody everybody has forgotten Lois, Superman – that there was an alternate universe that we just came out of and this whole rebirth thing happened and that he's not Superman and that he's not Clark Kent and that this Clark Kent is the Clark who was here before. And why are they all surprised? And why does he say he built the fortress when this is a fortress that's on this earth and he's not from this earth? This is the fortress I built years ago when blah, blah, blah happened. I, I'm confused because the characters seem to have forgotten already and, and maybe that's a uh, side effect of whatever's going on and that eventually they're all going to believe they are the one and only people that they are supposed to be. But as of this point, I don't know why Lois is so surprised that this Clark is here. He's been here since the other Clark supposedly died. He appeared very quickly soon after and he's been here since. And he's, for some reason, doesn't have powers, but he's Clark. So my assumption has always been he's the Clark from before, just without the memory that he was once Superman. I don't know why there's an editor's note saying, check out uh, Rebirth 1 or whatever when this Clark appears. We know that. He's been Clark from the beginning. Well, no, he hasn't. He's actually just appeared recently during the fight between Superman and Lex when when Superman kind of outed himself as being around having been on this earth for a number of years. And he did build a fortress, a secret fortress on his own that's been there secretly, um, you know, since he's been Superman, or not Superman, since he's been on this earth for a number of years. Now, don't forget, Jonathan's growing up on this earth. He came across as a baby and now he's growing up. So Superman has been there. He just hasn't been Superman in the public light. He's been, you know, behind the scenes secretly doing things. And, you know, um, he and Lois have you know, being there doing their own thing in Hamilton County. And then when Superman, the new 52 Superman died, um, he died. So there is no Clark. There shouldn't be a Clark Kent that exists. That's why it's a mystery. Why, who is this Clark Kent? You know, he doesn't, he says he never was Superman. He says that the new 52 Superman asked him to go into hiding and he would pretend to be Clark Kent while he investigated this big story that he was doing. And then when Superman died, Clark decided he should come back out. But, is that you know it he was never superman in his eyes so who is he uh right um, but that's he's been there since that happened which was very early the one you mentioned where he uh, outs himself to lex luthor saying that he's not the original superman clark comes at that point and both lois and clark and other people in the universe have interacted with this person many times yeah, well, so, Superman. No, I mean, Lois knows that he exists. She's not surprised that he is actually there in this comic book. She's just surprised that he's, um, I guess, expressing his his interest in her, and you know, and she, obviously she doesn't know anything about this Clark Kent because he's a mystery to everybody. We don't know how he exists. How is he even in this universe if the Superman who was Clark Kent died? Well, we don't know that, but there was some some sort of energy fluctuations going on with him toward the end, and something odd has happened here. I assume he's related in some way, but it could be that he's not. Mm. So yes, I get the idea that they're trying to figure out who he is. I just I, I didn't realize I wasn't thinking straight. And sometimes when I play devil's advocate here on the podcast, it's because I gotta believe that there are fans out there either just coming on board on this yeah. book 
or who have read since Rebirth and are confused because of 100%. all the, you know, it's been only a couple of years and we're in three different universes. So the idea that I was confused or the idea that one could be confused, I didn't realize he had built a fortress here on Earth. I thought he left the fortress and I actually thought they made an editing error in the next book because then they were in the same fortress, but it was not the same fortress, but it had the same statues and it looked the same. And then he said, no, no, this is a fortress I built. Yeah, and then there. I said, but he didn't build a fortress. He's on Earth that he didn't he did not live on. But okay. Yeah, there are two fortresses. There's the one that the new Fifty Two Superman had, and there's the one that uh, this Superman built for himself um, elsewhere. So there are currently After he two. Came back to this Earth, not a fortress he built on his Earth. However no, many years. That's right. When he when he was transferred to this Earth, he created a fortress for himself. So. Um, yeah, it can get confusing, 100%. And I wrote a, a pretty lengthy uh, article on the Big Blue Report, our newsletter, trying to you know get it all straight in my own head, so that maybe some fans who were confused or who wanted to catch up would you know uh, could read it and 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 hopefully make some sense out of it. Because there's a mystery there, there's a lot of confusion, and I'm hoping that they'll come up with some answers soon. But that's what part of what's intriguing me and why I'm interested in the current comic books is that. There is a mystery there. There is some, you know, story to be told, and we're waiting for the answers to to be revealed. And uh, it's intriguing, but I can understand how, as you say, it could be very confusing for someone who's got no idea what the hell's going on. I also thought it was interesting, and this happens on TV shows a lot. And it just seems like it's on the shows. It's either lazy writing or it's something they forgot about. But on one page, Maggie says she hates working with amateurs because Clark went running in there to save Lois. But then on the very next page, when she gets in there, she yells at Lois and says Clark did the right thing. It seems like she had a complete switch of her attitude from one panel to the next. Mm. Yeah, I don't recall that. But um, hey. well, They were in the truck, right. fake Clark and yep. Maggie. Oh, okay, and Clark yes, kept yes, saying, yes. oh, I got to go in there. I got to help her. And, and she kept saying, uh, she's fine. She's a professional. She knows what she's doing. And then Clark goes in and probably saved Lois's life by tripping and falling on those guys, which seems to be an actual natural uh, thing that he does. And it's not like acting like he's clumsy. He actually right. is kind of clumsy and amateurish. But Maggie at first says, God, I hate working because he runs out of the truck. Clark, come back. Don't do that. But then when she gets into the bar and takes down the guy, she says to Lois that – because Lois wants to yell at Clark now and, and Maggie then says that Clark did the right thing. But she was – thought it was the wrong thing too because she <laughs> made mention that it was amateurish and she was annoyed at him. It yeah. was just it, it, off-putting, but OK. Yeah, all right. We'll move into Superman number 16 and 17. 16 finishes off the multiplicity storyline um, and uh, I – I guess, you know, probably the biggest thing to come out of this was the fact that Clark and the new Superman, Keenan Kong from the Chinese Superman, uh, actually got to meet for the first time, so that was uh, notable. Um, But uh, it all wraps up nicely, and the Justice League incarnate, you know, uh, help out, and um, I guess it's uh, all's well that ends well. You know, the prophecy failed, and now uh, Superman's fate is not known, or he's unknown. I found it a little disturbing that their version of the Flash uh, died so simply and kind of unceremoniously and wasn't really thought of or talked about and uh, no one really – I mean they all kind of bow their heads in the scene where uh, President Superman is, is holding the body but but uh, Superman doesn't make mention of it. He doesn't tell Superman. Mm. 
you know, this guy killed himself so that you could succeed in your mission. But um, uh, does that kind of bother me a little bit? Yeah, and I think probably the biggest letdown of this story was that they tried to throw in too many characters. There were too many alternate versions. There were too many characters that hadn't got fleshed out. So the loss of the Flash and, you know, the and the other characters that, you know, kind of got um, sacrificed, if you like, in, in this whole thing... Um, didn't feel fleshed out enough to feel their loss or they the characters themselves didn't seem to focus on their loss so it i think that was probably my biggest uh fault with this with this particular story was there was too much thrown in and not enough time to flesh them out mm. which is unusual because usually i i always hear the reviewers on the page you know uh talking about how this book was just filler or they really are just trying to string this along or they mm. don't really have enough they want to tell us so they're just you know they just want it to be a four part or six part so they can make a, uh, a graphic novel later on so in this case we see a lot and just not enough story not enough books to actually really flesh out the story and and cover what's going on yeah and then in uh, superman number 17 we get one of those kind of filler stories if you like it's concentrating specifically on Jonathan and uh, his uh, young female friend Kathy, and their trip into the dead man's dead man's swamp, where uh, Kathy's uh, uh, her grandfather uh, and uh, their cow Bessie have uh, gone missing, and uh, we don't know if it's swamp gas or what, but there's so many crazy things happening in this swamp as the two of them try to find uh, the grandfather uh, Cobb and uh, the cow Bessie. And uh, you know, they've got you know, giant animals and they've got trees hitting them. The house tries to eat them and the cow spews milk all over them and they end up down a well and then it's all, again, all's well that ends well because they are in a well. But um, <laughs> the, um, there's some mysterious figure, shadowy figure watching on from the cornfield. Uh, he appears to have glasses. Uh, is it the Clark Kent figure that we've been, this mysterious Clark Kent, or is it somebody else? Um, it was, it was a fun adventure, if you like. It felt like a young adult kind of adventure novel about two kids going on an adventure and coming up, you know, coming unstuck and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, a little bit of a filler, I guess, because it doesn't. There's Superman and Lois are really peripheral characters. We only see them at the beginning when they go off and Jonathan's left on his own, and at the end when they come home and find him asleep, supposedly in bed. Yeah, I mean, one of my problems that I've had with the relaunch so far is, and you kind of mentioned it, although you said it was happening in action, is that it seems like the book Superman, to me, is more about Jonathan and what he's doing and his situation than it really is about Superman more of the time. And especially in this case, if not, if I'm wrong elsewhere, uh, as you say, Lois and Clark don't appear in it, and it's all about Jonathan and, and what he's doing with his next-door neighbor friend. And that they get lost in this strange house and, and that there's this thing watching them. I took it as a creature. It never even occurred to me that there was a possibility it could be the uh, Clark Kent person because he's different sizes mm. and he's got magical powers, although maybe he's some sort of shapeshifter that has taken on the role of Clark or is um, confused into thinking that he's Clark. Uh, a little bit like when the New 52 was ending, there was that guy – who was all energy based, but he kept telling everyone he was Superman and, and he was killing people in the daily planet. And he was, uh, I forget, but he was the, he was a, he was an imposter 
that then that then the new Chinese Superman uh, spun off of from that same lab when he came and, and Lois kept telling everyone he's not Clark and, and you're not acting right. And then uh, I don't know if you remember the story, but it, it reminds me of that. It almost seems like they're redoing that with this Clark who's confused and doesn't know himself. And and of course, if this creature that is following Jonathan around in this story is that same character, then we have another sort of magical creature that can also disguise himself or is also confused into thinking that he's Clark when he's not. But of course we don't know that because they don't say that in this story. But as you said, it it appears that he could possibly be wearing glasses. I, I took it as just, he was like alien looking kind of like a gray, one of those uh, Mm. aliens and the, you know, the the traditional looking what an alien would look like if he, if there was real aliens or, or if an alien actually came to earth and then, of course, he had these horror story kind of powers and things. And it made me wonder if this was either an October cover or was supposed to be. Yeah, good good point. Um, I guess it's up for speculation just what that person or creature is that's looking on here. But, yeah, I, I might have said Action Comics before, but I meant uh, the Superman title seems to have been focusing on Jonathan quite a bit lately. And I guess that's why it's a good thing that we have now the Super Sons book and that they can maybe you know, use that to focus on Jonathan and use get Superman uh, back to being about Superman and Lois and uh, and their and you know their adventures. Obviously, Jonathan's still going to be involved because he's part of the family. But um, you know, stories like this one in action in Superman number seventeen could be you know left for Super Sons or you know uh, um, and allow super, uh, the Superman title to get back to Superman himself. Yeah, I hope so. I would like that to. Uh be the case all right well that's the comic books uh i did want to pay tribute to bob holiday uh superman who was the the actor sorry the, the the man who played superman on broadway in 1966 the uh broadway musical it's a bird it's a planet superman starred bob holiday in the role as superman uh he and i were good friends we uh met him in uh, metropolis illinois in 2003 but i had been sharing emails with bob prior to that and actually was a bit of a catalyst in getting him to the Superman celebration that year. Uh, I was privileged and honoured to uh, have been called up on stage during Bob's performance at the Superman celebration uh, to bring on a large life-size cardboard standee of himself as Superman, which uh, he spoke about and and pointed to during his performance. I um, am lucky enough to own that uh, cardboard standee Um, and have it in my personal collection, which he signed for me uh, that weekend at the Superman celebration. Uh, He was a lovely man. He was um, very honoured to have been part of the Superman world, Uh, took it very seriously and was, you know, uh, held that responsibility of having played Superman close to his heart. And sadly, he uh, passed away on January 27th, aged 84. He will be missed. Um, a question. The only version of the musical that I have seen is the one that, I don't know, it was CBS or whoever, uh, played in the 70s, and it is horrendous. Mm. It's horrible. It's corny. It's campy. It's bad singing. It's bad acting. Do you have any idea uh, of the version that Bob Holiday was actually in uh, of the similarities or differences, or or was this a more serious take? Even though it's a singing and it's musical and it has the same music. Yeah, it was far different from all accounts. Sadly, there's no video or uh, recorded version of the musical 
um, in uh, visual format. There's obviously the LP record that of the songs that were sung during the Broadway musical. Um, but by all accounts, from those who did see it uh, and were lucky enough to catch Bob on stage as Superman, it was vastly superior to the campy 70s version that was on TV. Uh, it was played, you know, uh, not for, for laughs in that, while it was a musical comedy, it wasn't playing up the character as being something ridiculous. Um, so it, um, by all accounts, Bob was very charismatic on stage. He had a great singing voice. Uh, the musical numbers were great, and um, the uh, production qualities for 1966 were fantastic, where the 1970s TV show production values were, in my opinion, very poor. Yes, I agree. So I'm glad that he was at least a part of something that, um, not that I saw it, but that a Superman fan might be able to say, uh, be, 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 uh, be proud of. So, yeah. so uh, that's, that's good. Um, and, uh, it's, you know, uh, he died at an old age, but always sorry to see uh, somebody pass on. Yeah, 100%. So our condolences to his family and friends. All right, lastly, before we move into the big questions segment and the rest of our show, I had a chat with uh, Marco Zorzin, the record holder, the, world, the Guinness World Record holder for having the largest Superman collection in the world. Uh, we sat down for a Skype chat. Uh, he's in London, uh, so uh, we couldn't get him on our live show or, or as we had hopefully planned to do. But he was a, um, a great guy. He's a big fan. He's only been collecting for the last seven years, which doesn't seem like a long time when you have a collection that supposedly is the largest in the world. Uh, now, he, it's a great interview, and he, he clearly says he probably doesn't have the largest collection in the world. There are probably, you know, the Superman Museum, there's other people, Jamie Regal and others that we know of who probably have larger collections. But to go through the process of getting the Guinness World Record is a humongous, monumental effort involved. You've got a video your collection one item at a time uncut and document each and every single item in your collection and fill in all this paperwork and everything that's got to go on the documentation to be to pass the mustard if you like and be considered uh, for the Guinness World Record and I could my collection is probably half of his and I couldn't even consider sitting like trying to do that you know, un an uncut video of every single item in your collection, that would take forever. Not only that, but if you if you have a lot of stuff that's not normally displayed or is in different rooms yes. or in different places, you'd have to get it all together, lay it all out somewhere, have room for all of it at one time. Yes. And who's going to watch that to actually break it down? Like you're going to sit there for hours and hours and hours with every person who submits, you know, not just Superman, but every other category of this type. It's crazy. And actually watch an uncut video of of all of the things that this person has. And as we discussed last month – Obviously, if you go through all of this and then they can verify, you could have two items. If no one else has ever come forward and yes. said that they have three items, you win, you That's know, it. and you're in. So uh, the, the idea that he's the one who sat down and went through this whole process. He deserves it. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I <laughs> like you said, I, I don't know what kind of a collection I have, but I wouldn't want to do it. No. With what I do have. So, um you know, to kudos him. to him, and yeah. it's nice that he's in there. And uh, I am also in the Guinness Book of World Records, so uh, we have that in common. <laughs> Very cool. All right, let's move into the big question segment of our show. 
big question. Last month's big question was, what do you think of Superman's new costume design for the comic books? And Tyler Wynn wrote, while I do think the changes are minor, I believe they make a big difference. My only complaint with the Rebirth costume was that I missed the red boots, so it's nice to see them return. I love the podcast, guys. Keep doing what you're doing. Well, thank you, Tyler. appreciate your comments there. Yeah, I'm happy that the red boots are back. Uh, people would like the red trunks back, but let's not go there. <laughs> All right, Jonathan Tyler Patrick wrote, he said... I like the new 52 suit because it was alien, it was Kryptonian, it was techno-bio. Second, I like the Rebirth suit. I felt, feel it is a nice blend of comics and film. The blue boots call back to Action Comics number one. I like the wrist cuff look. Third, I'm okay with the loss of the red trunks. I've said that for a while. It needed to be updated. So the new suit is fine. It looks original and plain, and uh, the belt is really the big difference. It's classic. I wish they would have left the wrist cuffs well there you go someone who's on the kind of the other side of things liking some of the changes like the wrist cuffs and the blue boots and stuff like that yeah uh, it did it is he's right it does call back to some of the older times when the boots were uh, you know very early when it was all one color i do like the return of the red boots myself as well but i also like the wrist cuffs uh hector wrote i don't know it looks like he's wearing pajamas more than it looks like a suit uh, disappointed. Mm, well, straight to the point there, Hector. Yeah, look, uh, I can understand that people, you know, like the trunks because they feel like it breaks it up, and maybe this belt doesn't necessarily do that enough for some people. But uh, thank you, Hector. Uh, Henry Bernstein wrote in, "I really like it. I am so over the whole tights or no tights discussion. My personal preference is Superman's look for the '80s and '90s, but I get the removal of the tights. They did it with Batman after Prodigy, uh, and it wasn't a big deal. I'm guessing he's talking about the trunks." Uh, what I did object to was the removal of the boots in Rebirth. To me, it looked like he was flying around in his pajamas, uh, basically a Superman onesie. I think it's a great blend of old and new, which mirrors the current direction of the book. So another uh, vote for the red boots. Thank you, Henry. And John Pippia Jr. wrote, I actually didn't mind the new costume or the blue boots with the red trim, and now that I've finally gotten to Rebirth, I'm liking both action and Superman comics and enjoying Superman once again. I'm not against going back to the red boots, though, or changing the costume slightly as long as they don't change Superman again into a different ma Superman altogether as they did after Flashpoint, and then we ended up with the new 52 Superman. Yeah, well, thank you, John. Appreciate your comments. Uh, Patrick O'Neill, our proud sponsor, says, I think the changes they made to the costume look fine, but honestly, I'm sad to see the blue boots go so quickly. I actually liked them. They had a throwback look to them. In a 1930s, Superman comics had blue boots on occasion. The red boots are classic, and I knew they would return. I just hoped the blue could have stayed a bit longer. Anyways, keep up the good work, guys. Well, thank you, Patrick. <laughs> You know, that brings up something interesting, Patrick. The idea that Batman has a plethora of suits uh, that you see regularly. He doesn't just wear one suit. Why Why couldn't Superman have the blue boots once in a while? Why couldn't he have trunks once in a while? Why can't he have three different looks, four different looks? Why does it have to be, you know, we know what the traditional is. We know that it's the red trunks with the, with the red boots and the red cape and a blue suit. But now that we're now that we're out of the red trunks, we know that it's a blue suit and we're back to red boots with a red cape. So we know that Superman's general look is what it is, but why couldn't he also have a suit that had a blue cape or a black cape or boots that are blue instead of red? Why does it have to be one but not the others? Mm. Yeah, good point. Um, so that was last week's, last month's big question. What is our new big question for this month, Scotty? What is your most prized possession in your Superman collection? Yeah, we spoke about uh, Marco Zorzin, the world record holder for the largest Superman collection. 
So everybody out there has some kind of a collection, whether it's you know a couple of items, a couple of action figures, whatever it might be. What is your most prized possession in your Superman collection? Let us know. Use the uh, big question feedback form found at the Superman homepage to send us your answer, and we, we will read them out in our next podcast. Uh, Scotty, what is your most prized possession in your collection? Oh, boy. I mean, uh, I, I guess thinking about it right at this moment, I think I like my Man of Steel statue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I've got uh, an old older Superman comic book I've got is a Superman number 10, I think it is. It's not in very good condition, but uh, it's, yeah, it's one of those ones that I go, yes, I've got something that's, you know, from the 1940s. I'm really, it's uh, very cherished. Yeah, very cool. I like the the idea of, of collecting old stuff, but it's always more expensive and hard to find. And I don't really have anything like that in my collection. But I, the the statue that I have, I, I, it's very realistic looking. It, it looks exactly like Cavill in the movie. Mm. It has a, a, a posable cape. Um, so I I, uh, I think they did a really good job with it, and then uh, it makes me happy. <laughs> and that's the main thing. That's what a collection should be about. That's right. All right, let's move into our Superman comedy sketch. I'm laughing at you, you hear? Laughing! Oh, boy. It looks like you've got us a robot chicken sketch this time. Yes, uh, thank you to uh, Patrick Aslan who uh, helps me find some of these sketches. Uh, it's not an easy job, but uh, he's found us one uh, segment from a robot chicken episode. Uh, here's one of the Superman segments, one of the funnier Superman segments from Robot Chicken. Ah, I got here as quickly as I could. What's the emergency? Hello, Superman. Or should I say, Kal-El. You are Kal-El, right? Son of Jor-El and uh, Lara? I'm Transar. I'm a private investigator from Krypton. I've been looking for you all over the universe for many, many years. What? No, no, Krypton was destroyed. I'm really sorry to tell you this. Krypton is fine. You see, your parents were in the middle of a nasty divorce, and your mom's lawyer, a woman by the name of Bar L, no relation, well, she's a hell of a divorce lawyer, and so your dad kept threatening to put you in a rocket and blast you off into space if your mom didn't back off. Nobody believed he'd really do it. I mean, every once in a while you read about one of these custody battles where a parent kills their own kid as a way of hurting the other parent, but obviously something that horrific's pretty rare. But on the day of the mediation, no one could find Jor-El. And your mom's attorney asked Jor-El's attorney, a guy named Bron-El, again, no relation. She asked Bron-El where the hell Jor-El was. You see, everyone had agreed to meet on a time that Jor-El had insisted on. It's like 11 o'clock in the morning or 10, whatever, it makes no difference. I don't know why I told you that part. So anyway, they're all standing in the driveway in front of the house, you know, and everyone's wondering, where is Jor-El? And then they hear someone shout, hey, you dumb bitch. Sorry for the blue language, ma'am, that's what he said. And they all look up, and standing on the balcony is your dad. And he's holding a remote control thingy, and he says, hey, you dumb bitch. Again, I'm sorry, man. Those were his words. You can have the house and the car, but you can't have the f***ing baby. And he presses a button on the remote, and a goddamn rocket lifts off from the roof, and you were in it. I mean, it was unbelievable. So, of course, you know, they took him right to jail. And your mom's attorney hired me to go looking for you, and after searching out the goddamn universe, here we are. That's probably a lot of information to take in, isn't it? Oh, if it's not too much trouble, could I have another cup of coffee? <laughs> I like Robot Chicken when they do those DC Comics uh, specials. I like it anyway, but uh, they've made a point of having these DC Comics 
they have a couple of them where it's yeah. all DC comic stuff, and uh, it's uh, it's pretty fun. good when they do that. Yeah, and so now we shall do our super secret soundbite. Only one thing alive with less than four legs can hear this frequency, Superman, and that's you. Yes, last month's sound came from the pilot episode of the Superboy live-action TV series. Uh, let's hear it again. I'm so scared. That makes two of us. Well, that was the sound, and unfortunately, it was probably a little too hard because nobody guessed it correctly. We had a few uh, guesses, but none of them were correct. So uh, we will... Uh, Maybe try a little bit something a little bit easier this month. Here is our new super secret soundbite. If it please your honor, I present documented proof the defendant suffers from a chronic psychological fixation and should not be considered accountable for his actions. Well, if you think you can guess where in the world of Superman that super secret soundbite comes from, then use the super secret soundbite entry form found at the Superman homepage website. Under the favorites menu, you'll find the podcast link. So get involved. See if you can guess where in the world of Superman that sound came from. Absolutely. This is kind of history in the making on the uh, podcast. I don't think I've ever been a part of an episode where at least a couple of people didn't guess it correctly. Mm, yes. Um, so. It mustn't be uh, – yeah, it must be a while since people have listened to or watched the Superboy TV series. They couldn't uh, guess where it was from. Yeah, I guess. Uh, I probably wouldn't have been able to guess it if I didn't already know what it was. <laughs> uh, now for our Superman song. Once again, it has Superman in the title. It's called A Superman by, is it O-D-I or Odie? Oh, yeah, I don't know how it's pronounced. It's a capital O, capital D, and a small I. So, Odie, Odie, I don't know. But uh, it's from her 2008 LP titled A Superman, the same song title. So, uh, if you want to check out Odie or Odie, uh, you can uh, do so at odimusic.co.uk. And here is her song, A Superman.
Well, there you have it. That's the song, and that's our show. Now, don't forget, uh, if you do want to participate in some way with our podcast, maybe there's a topic you think we need to discuss, maybe there's a song you'd like us to play, a sketch you have for us that uh, we could use here on our podcast, any suggestions, any ideas you have for the show, anything you want to throw our way, we're only too happy to hear from you. Uh, You can use the KAL feedback form found at the Superman homepage to do so, or you can send us an email. My email address is steve at supermanhomepage.com, or you can email Scotty. His email address is scotty at supermanhomepage.com, and we'll try to use those ideas in a future show. But for now, thank you, Scotty. Thank you, Steve. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And remember, always look up in the sky. You've been listening to Radio KAL, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com and our proud sponsor, Patrick O'Neill.